Hello, and welcome back to Cycle News' Dakar Rally Daily Podcast. I'm Jesse Ziegler, the biggest rally nerd you're ever going to meet. Who are you? I believe that. I thought you were going to introduce me, but I, I always do better when someone else introduces me. But, you know, I'm Quinn Cody, um, yeah. former off-road racer. I've done Dakar myself a couple times. Whoa, easy there. Yep. You're kind of a big deal. Uh, In yeah. my own mind. You know who else uh, got a big deal at the end of last year's rally season? Andrew Short. Andrew Short, for Move, sure. Moving over to the Monster Energy Yamaha rally team. He did. Not only did he switch colors of bikes, but he switched flavors and brands of energy drink preference. So clearly he's making moves in the sport that a lot of people wish they had the choice to make. Like, who doesn't want to have contract options at the end of the year? True, true. I That's wish I had contract options. This is the best I could do is start a podcast with you about a race in Saudi Arabia. It's been a long time since I had any options. <laughs> well, we got a really cool interview with Andrew Short coming up for everybody. Um, Andrew is just an epic motocross and supercross personality and athlete and legend in the sport. And man, talk about somebody transitioning to off-road and rally successfully. Andrew Short's a pretty good case for that study. I mean, he's had two factory rally rides and he's only been racing rally for like four years. Yeah. And you know, the, the best part about Andrew is he's just a guy who loves riding motorcycles. Yep. It doesn't matter if he's racing, if he's trail riding in the hills, uh, you know, you, you see him everywhere on social media and just a great fun dude to be around. Yep. And he, uh, he started off, you know, intimidated by rally and he, he came into it, um, with a desire to learn and he's really put in the homework to figure it out and man i think he's got some speed coming this year and i don't have to think about it anymore because i already talked to andrew and he already told me about it so we could just maybe i don't know you want to let andrew talk about it or do you want to talk about what andrew told us let's just turn him loose all right here's andrew short talking to us about the dakar rally and we're back we have mr andrew short the newest member of the Monster Energy Yamaha racing rally team. On the phone, Andrew, how are you? Doing good. Uh, getting excited, getting close. And it's funny how no matter how many times you go to a big race like this, or any race for that matter, it, it just life accelerates the closer you get to it, no matter how pre prepared you are. And um, I love those feelings. I know as a racer, that means that you care and um, you have a lot to look forward to. So I'm stoked. You've been you've been racing motorcycles for like is this your this isn't your first year you've done it for a few years right <laughs> yeah at I some think, point I guess I have to stop but I don't know when the appropriate time to do that is I, I think go crazy I think your happen. your stat line is you raced professional motocross and supercross for sixteen years um, the big top line stuff you have got nine pro wins and over fifty fifty five zero podium finishes that's remarkable i think in general um and then you just decided you know what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna go trail riding back home in colorado a couple times and then i'm gonna meet some people that do this thing called rally racing and then next thing you know you're on an airplane to go race dakar how in the hell did that happen and yeah how did you get to where you are today yeah i got bit by the the rally bug just because i love two wheels and it's kind of the, yeah. the everest of motorcycle racing and you start checking it out and watching it, and one thing led to another. So I didn't know 
it would happen so quickly. I thought it, I would catch on much sooner mm-hmm. just because I've had success on other two wheels. But I love anything um, to do with their bikes, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to do this and uh, looking forward to this year. It seems like it's been such a crazy year for everyone. So yeah, to for sure. be able to actually go race is uh, something to be thankful for. So Yeah, we'll for sure. How it goes. Especially with you and a new team this year. Um, the last couple of years, you were on the uh, Rockstar Husqvarna team. Also with uh, stateside gig racing, uh, you know, the Works um, West Coast off-road racing series. And then, then um, signed up with the Yamaha for a two-year deal. And I think, you know, we've we've had a Cycle News interview with you before about this. So uh, it's not new news necessarily, but it's nice to t- talk about again. You were excited about their investment in Rally. Um, investing in you and you saw some potential there going forward unfortunately you didn't get to test that this year too much or get to shake the bike out or see how competitive you can be on it but you did get a race one race so how did you I guess before you going into the Dakar rally how was your feeling on the bike and potential for racing with your very limited time behind yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels good, and I, I've spent a lot of time on the bike, but I think you learn the most from, from actually going racing, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, we didn't get to race that much this year. We had the one race in Spain, the Andalusia Rally, and there was no desert there, so um, that in that aspect, I think I'm at a bit of a disadvantage, mm-hmm. um, but the good part is I really love the bike and uh, handling and the motor, and mm-hmm. uh, the personnel seems really cool from the limited time. I've spent with them. And I think that's going to be a weakness also is just communicating and, um, learning how, how to, uh, make changes quickly and effectively on race day. So hopefully my experience from the past can accelerate this, but at the same time, I know that I'm going to have to adapt and, and um, try to make the, the best of it. And that's kind of the name of this race. So we'll see how it goes. And, mm-hmm. so- um, I, you know, I, I think every racer going into this race, they put so much time and effort into it. Everyone's excited. Um, and then a week into it, you know, everyone has a different feeling. So I, I have to use that experience from the past and make the most of it. But I'm stoked to be going uh, racing with the Yamaha guys and Monster and this whole new group. So the so the new team is uh, is out of France or uh, Yamaha France rally team. Is that is that right? Yeah, more more. It's Yamaha Europe and. Uh, majority of the people are, are from France. It's, I would say it's similar to years past, but within the last couple of years, it's expanded. It's the same people that run the World Superbike team and MXGP. Um, and so that's the, the group that kind of spearheads the rally program over there. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. And, and I know that group is, has a lot of experience with rally in the past. And uh, who who are your teammates this year? What, what do we have on the Yamaha uh, squad? Do yeah, you have a Adrian Van, yeah, I don't really know all those guys that well until just recently. And Adrian Van Beveren, he's kind of the senior member of the team. He's been really fast in years past mm-hmm. and had some issues, whether it's crashing or some uh, bike bike issues. So I think, you know, he's hoping that he can learn from all that. Also, Franco Caimi is a previous, he's been on the team for a while. Yep. He's from Argentina. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ross Branch is new to the team along with me. And there's also Jamie McCanny, who is uh, a former Enduro, World Enduro Championship guy. And I really uh, love being around him for the limited time I have. I love his mindset and how he approaches racing. And 
um, his passion too. He's like stoked to learn how to get better in the desert. Mm-hmm. He's kind of similar to me in that aspect that he got bit by the rally bug and he's full gas on it and wants to make the most of the situation that he's in. Yeah, he's definitely got plenty of uh, off-road technical speed in the off-road world championship stuff. And Rush Branch, he's uh, from Zimbabwe, correct? He's an African native. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think he is. Yeah, and he was Not, racing. Um, was he racing? He won a couple, of, or he won a stage, at least a stage last year, right? He on was, a privateer. Uh, yeah, he's doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cool. Pretty, that's cool. He's from have Botswana. Some, Botswana. Botswana. That's what it is. Right. Not Zimbabwe. Botswana. I don't know what I'm talking I about. I knew when he said it, it didn't sound right, but I didn't know the right one. So. <laughs> well, you got it. You got it, it quicker than I did. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's a pretty uh, pretty diverse team of, you know, talent, skills, experience. Um, how is the team dynamic there? Is there a clear hierarchy of, you know, sort of like Tour de France analogy? Is there a clear leader of the team and the rest of the team is supporting him? Or is it more, hey, we're all racing for the win as the stage is play out we're going to find out where people are stacking up and then the team dynamics will change yeah i think it's only natural for the the second strategy like what you said and Mm -hmm. i think it's uh foolish for a team to limit themselves um and saying you can't go full gas from the beginning for for a certain number of people so i i love that mentality that's been expressed beforehand Mm -hmm. and so i i like that and i know in years past, maybe it hasn't been that way, but at the previous program where I was at with Husky and KTM, um, this is how they approach racing. They have a lot of fast guys. And there's a lot of egos, mm-hmm. but also everybody knew that it was clear um, once the race unfolded, uh, you know, the strategy on where it's going to go. So even last year, day two and three, basically, I, I blew it, and uh, my race was over from the overall mindset, you know, to win at that point. Yeah. And then I knew it was clear what my role was after that. So got it. It's, um, seems it's to be kind of the nature of the beast. Yes. Yeah, kind of the nature of the sport, I guess it's yeah. like everybody's going to win, but when it comes down to it, the manufacturer wants to win and we need to do our best to make sure that blue bike is winning in your case. Yeah. Ultimately that's what they care about. And mm-hmm. you know, if you're there to support your, your teammates and you, you know, and you don't have that chance to win, but some days it might be clear that you can get a stage win or something like that. So there's still this opportunity to race isn't completely over. Yeah. But at the same time, you got to have that eye on uh, the big goal or target. And I think for any brand, it's to get, you know, that brand up front and then read and adapt the race. But that's what's crazy about rally. It's like, you think you know what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden it goes a different direction. So I think you're probably uh, the, poster boy for that um with all of your you know minutes of your footage going through the sand dunes on a bare wheel last year after giving up your good wheel to toby price because he was still in contention on you know your sister team at ktm yeah you were like give it up you're the man take the wheel i'll figure out how to get back to the pits on a rim yeah and that was a crazy day for me because i was riding with ricky Mm-hmm. pretty much all day from kilometer 50 on mm-hmm. and i was supposed to stay behind my teammate who we were chasing yeah but so that's why i was riding with ricky because i didn't want to pull him up to my teammate but it was awesome and then we came i thought it was Pablo and then toby and toby didn't even want to change his wheel so i'm like come on you know he was in second and yeah um he had a good opportunity so that's just that's the spirit of this race and that's what's really cool about it um and, and that was still early on. That was before rest day. So, yeah. you know, two weeks of racing. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe the navigation changes this year. Or 
you never know what to expect. And uh, I think it's going to be full of challenges and should be rowdy and fun. Let's talk about a little bit about your preparation going into the year since you didn't, you know, have an opportunity to race that much. Um, you know, we follow you on social media. We, we know Jimmy Lewis really well. We know Johnny Campbell really well. We know that whole crew that's, you know, supporting Ricky really well. And, and you've really inserted yourself into the American rally. Uh, what did Ricky call you guys? The rally boys. I, I assume that's with a Z on the end of it or something for boys. The guys that just, you know, they hang out in Pahrump, Nevada and Jimmy's dilapidated shack of a navigation roadbook factory and you guys are just like pumping out roadbooks and riding kilometers and you yourself um i've heard this from jimmy and i've heard this from ricky really taking a liking to building roadbooks and learning about how to how to design them and how to map them out and um i don't know talk about your prep this year and how that roadbook sort of bug bit you yeah well it's just i i think it helps you understand navigation um, if you have the mindset of the guy who ever built the road book. So for me, it's not like I totally enjoy it or whatever, but I'm trying to maximize uh, my skills. And I don't think one of my strengths is the raw speed. And I'm not really willing to take the chances of, say, a Toby Price, who, uh, you know, his motto is, we're not here for a long time, we're here for a good time. And he just <laughs> sends it. Um, I have two, two kids, and uh, I know the sport's risky. But at the same time, I would like to try to min- minimize that. And so I have to lean on strengths like navigation. And mm-hmm. because of building roadbooks and understanding what a tulip looks like from the GPS standpoint on a computer, mm-hmm. um, this really helps somebody like me. So this is why I'm into it. Mm-hmm. And plus, in years past, you know, I've spent once a month with my previous team doing navigation training. But because of COVID and this 2020 year, uh, there's been not much of that. So mm-hmm. I've had to build a lot of roadbooks, and not too many people are into it, especially here in the U.S. Right. Uh, so Jimmy has been a great asset for that, and he has the mindset. Oh, it's more old school. It's yeah, not definitely. necessarily the style of racing we go about today, but in general, it really worked. And I love how his brain thinks, and um, how I don't know. He from I don't know if it's the school mentality or just the way he's wired, but he has a way of giving you a way of thinking about things differently than anybody else. And from the, tra- he gives you the training tools. So yeah. I think it's really cool to have somebody like that here in the U S and North America mm-hmm. that has the experience and the motivation and he's just stoked to help. So yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm thankful for that. Um, it's also cool that Ricky had so much success last year uh, and um, the people that he has around him with Kendall and Johnny and all these people have been really fun to train with those guys mm-hmm. a lot leading up to Dakar. And so, yeah, it's been cool to be prepared in a different way than it has in the previous three races for me going into Dakar. Yep. You know, I, and I know from my experience in, in rally and, and building roadbooks is that I, I never really understood a roadbook until I, until I built one. And yeah. for, for a lot of people, you know, listening maybe that, that have never, never really seen a roadbook or built a roadbook, more or less built, you know, or no less built a roadbook is, and you brought it up, the fact that what a note looks like from the aerial view. So what it looks yeah. like from Google Earth. And, you know, it, people don't really realize, but these roadbooks are generally built off of Google Earth and then they're confirmed from the ground. So yeah, what, 
can you can you explain a little bit of that in in your mind when you come up to a to a notation and and now that you have this perspective of an overhead view uh, you know kind of the difference between maybe your first time doing a roadbook you know do you do you have some perspective there or yeah sure well, i think you pretty much nailed it yeah you pretty much nailed it on the head but um and you also notice where there's maybe missing notes or moyant you understand where the water is going to flow um how the fingers of the the river the dry riverbeds the rios or the ueds how that's going to go you know you you understand with the cap and the moyen and the averages and you can scroll ahead a few notes too to try to understand um, which direction it's going to go and if it's going to add up and these are things i've never thought of before or even cared about and then you're your worst critic also once you you make it so you kind of understand uh, whoever made the rule book, they're they're basically an author or the painter of of that rule. You understand their style and their mindset. So mm-hmm. if you can understand your own mentality, then you can understand others a lot better. Also, so these are things that are um, that I, I found value in. I, I also enjoy. It. I mean, it, it does take a long time, but there's definitely uh, some skill to it and. It's fun when you put in the work and you see results too. So hopefully these things all pan out. Talk about your training grounds out here in, you know, the Western U.S. You, you're based in Texas. You're originally from Colorado. So, you know, from Texas to Colorado is kind of like the gap of American West. And then you for, go a little bit further West and you're in Nevada, where Jimmy's base camp is, and you're putting in tons of stuff. We just talked to Ricky earlier, um, and he he's pretty sure that we have the world's best place to train for rally in America. Would you agree with that? Um, yeah, uh, I, I do. Th- I mean, South America is amazing, but it's not as similar to, to Saudi as what we have here in the Mojave Desert. And mm. that, still, that's really far for me, you know, yeah. and I have much better desert. That's closer. Um, even El Paso, Texas, where somebody like Mike Johnson's from, mm-hmm. um, and across into Mexico, there's dunes on end. So all these areas are much better. But the Mojave Desert, where Ricky and Jimmy are, it's Saudi with bushes, you know? Got it. <laughs> and this is, it's true. It has rocks. It has the same sand and, and terrain. And it might be a little bit more broken and rough. But in, in these ways, we're really lucky. And yeah. I don't want to say it's strange that a place so far away can be so similar, but it's true kind of. And I think this helped Ricky obviously a lot last year. He was born and pro in this desert. So it's, uh, it's, I guess also too, it's all these people, they can't travel right now. You know, people Mm -hmm. in Europe, they haven't ridden the desert a lot this year and we have. So I think this is an advantage going into a race like this for us. How many uh, miles did you put on the truck van hauling your rally bike to Nevada this year? (laughs) I just left my truck at, at Jimmy's for quite a while. So I would just fly back and forth. And so I've ridden in all kinds of places this year, you know, even Colorado and mm-hmm. uh, a Grand Junction area kind of towards mm-hmm. the Utah border. I've done a lot of road books there, Utah, um, Wyoming, some here in Texas. Uh, I've ridden quite a few places this year. and I've never ridden in north, northern Nevada. Yep. And I rode up there, I think, three times this year. Yeah. I, I know three times. And it's uh, cool to explore somewhere else. Not that's just not next to Jimmy's, also. <laughs> and because uh, nowadays, I feel like we yeah. know 
he can't fool you. I don't you there. feel scared when I get lost anymore in this desert. And that's a bad thing. You know, when I go north, I get scared when I get lost because I don't know where I'm at. So I've heard that uh, uh, in an interview from you before. I think maybe it was a Cycle News interview or a different interview where you were expressing a bit of fear when you were feeling like you're getting lost. But that kind of like hooked you a little bit and gave you the bug to like, hey, this is this is actually really cool now. Not only am I racing a motorcycle and I'm riding and I'm seeing all these cool places, but there's a little bit of an adventure to this that, you know, I'm I'm responsible for my own destiny now, and I got to get out of this situation. Is that true? Does that kind of fire up a little bit of an adventure in you when you go out in these races? Yeah, I mean, because if you're a moto kid or even desert, I've never raced here in Hound, but mm-hmm. you know, you basically go as fast as you can from the green flag to the checkered flag or the bomb or whatever. You know, yeah. when the gate drops at moto, you go as fast as you can. Yep. And this is completely different. It's not just about going balls to the wall and going fast and being that much quicker than the next guy there's there's so many elements to it that it takes to be successful and you have to be smart and like i said earlier it's kind of like the everest of of racing and i feel mm-hmm. like in a sense it's kind of commercialized in the same way there's maybe things that are more crazy you can do on a dirt bike yeah but it's still gnarly and it's a life experience pulled with a, a bivouac which is the pits full of passion that all these people have that want to be the best and this is what I love is two wheels and people that uh, want to be the best and want to be better than the next guy. And they're fueled um, to be, to be better each and every time. So I love this and mm-hmm. I'm addicted to it. This is the problem. Why I can't <laughs> stop racing. I got to find out what's kind of next because uh-huh. I'm getting to that point. But um, I, this is what, you know, has, has drove me to, to find more about this, you know, rally and the spirit behind it. Seems like you found a good home at rally. Um, seems like it's fitting into your wanting to be around committed motorcyclists or motorsports people. And there's nothing more committed than people that are going to invest so much of their time and money personally and career wise to get to these races and put it all on the line yeah. in a way. Um, speaking of the race, man, um, this year coming up, there's quite a few changes. We've talked to Ricky about them already, but what's your perception on some of the biggest rule changes and how you think they're going to affect your strategy going into the race? Um, Quinn's really familiar with them because he's been on the ground racing Dakar before, and he understands like the sort of consequences of some of these rules if you screw them up, I guess. But I guess starting at the top, the tire rule, six rear tires for the whole rally, how are you perceiving that to affect I don't know your strategy or performance or <laughs> how hard yeah, I think a little bit. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think that's going to change. Mm-hmm. I think a little bit's going to have to deal with luck, whether it gets cut or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but this whole thing they say is safety and it's anything but safety in my mind. Um, Cause even when we have a marathon stage, everyone goes full gas. And when a tire gets worn, you still accelerate, but you can't brake as quick. And the speed that we go um, when you can't stop as fast, that's when you get in trouble. Um, so this one will be interesting. Um, you can change a moose, but do you take it off and risk damaging the moose and breaking the bead uh, of the tire? I don't know. And these are things that everyone's going to have a, a different approach or theory behind. But I think this is the biggest thing that we're going to, I don't know, encounter with all the rule changes that are going to be a lot different. I think the road book in the morning uh, is not that big of a deal, and it, it helps a guy like me or Ricky because mm-hmm. we practice like this, a lot of navigation, and this 
will uh, tend to help us, not hurt us, I think. There's a couple other guys that are really good at navigation, but it definitely slows the race down and levels it out. You don't have to have a, a crazy map man and sit there and study all night. Mm-hmm. And this will make the race safer because you're going to get more sleep and you're going to be more prepared for the next day. Yeah, that um, seems to be like a win-win less, win all the way around. Yeah, that you know yeah. that's a big deal. And and I think what people, a lot of people, don't realize is is back in the day you would get your road book and and you would come in and eat some food and then you'd sit down with your road book and you'd spend three or four hours making modifications, highlighting, and, at least yeah, and yeah. You're you're up late and you know it's it's a lot of work to do. So you know that it's yeah. taking that out of the equation. So you have this time to rest and and hang out and you know kind of kind of recover from the day and that that's a big thing and i think you know the elite riders are coming in are coming in earlier and so they have more time but then you have some of the amateurs that are coming in late and they don't even have you know hardly any time to look at their road book or make modifications so i think it's i think that's a benefit all the way across the board you know really for for general safety of the race levels the playing field there's fewer yeah and there's less know, cheating less too, cheating so, which is good that's what i was going to say less cheating levels of playing field everybody's got the same information at the same time and and obviously maybe it'll allow people to get rested up a little more so roadbook's important yeah. um you know there's a couple other more rules about the engines um the piston swaps but you know those are all case by case issues yeah, i think anyway. it's a time penalty on the piston swap after the second one is that what it is yeah 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 something like that yeah, so. and i i don't think this changes the race that much i feel like mm. people didn't I, I don't know i feel like if something's gonna go it's gonna it's gonna go yeah. regardless yeah. and they're measuring or testing oils to see if there's metal in them and yeah all yeah. this anyway um i don't think a rider is so, gonna hold back because uh you know they, <laughs> they're worried pistons. about saving a piston yeah. I, I, you know the bikes yeah. are so good now that they're gonna be holding it wide open no matter what and, and let the mechanics yeah. deal with that i've never talked to a racer that's like man i'm, I'm slowing down because my piston today Everybody's yeah, like, they're not going to do that with tires, piston? let alone think about a piston, you know? Yeah, so, it's interesting I how the you last... approach the tire thing. Um, you know, yeah. Rick, Ricky was right on the same spot as you, but um, he didn't bring up the braking thing, which is I think is really important. Um, yeah. You lose tire performance, but acceleration... Uh, You're still off. going 170 kilometer an hour, and you got to slow down, and that's... You, slow, you, you accelerate slower. It doesn't... Yeah. It's not a safety issue, but stopping is a safety issue you can't stop with a blown out tire when you have a full tanks of fuel on the second day of a marathon stage <laughs> for sure for sure and that's you know that's Sketchy. something definitely something to consider so mm. and, and and like i said you know before is i i really don't see how that improves safety in any way if anything it just it just makes the race tougher on the riders yeah yeah and i understand having one tire a day this makes sense and yeah. we'll bring costs down and it's one less truck the teams have to bring because Last year, you know, you'd have maybe two or three options of tires. And in the neutral sections, you could change a tire if uh, the, the, the route was common with the assistant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people were changing tires and doing crazy stuff that, to me, wasn't the route, part of rally. You know, mm-hmm. it was getting out of hand. So I understand one tire a day or maybe choosing one tire for the whole rally, and that's what you have to stick with. Like, uh, the same style, yeah. you know, I mean, that have back. a spec tire or, you know, yeah, you, you yeah. stick with one tire, you get one tire I a day. Gotcha. I, that, that yeah. makes a lot more sense than, than limiting the number of tires. So but, you guys think that they just took it too far. Yeah, strictly. I think so. And maybe it was cost getting pushed with the teams, but the one good thing is the airbag that's coming out of it. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's a little bit controversial and people are going to run different brands, but Mm -hmm. the fact that I think this is going to help and this is a safety thing that they implemented this year that I think there's going to be a lot of positives from it. And we need this with our sport. There was two people who passed away and I, I don't know if it's because they couldn't get insurance, if they didn't change anything or if they generally really care, which is the impression I get um, Mm -hmm. for rider safety on the bikes. But this is something that's going to help not only rally, but I think motocross and supercross and off-road in the future. I think this will be a common tool that you'll see riders using and hopefully helping saving people um, on different levels. So this is something I think is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And some riders aren't into it because it's heavy and hot. And, yeah, it's um, But it's a good thing. So yeah. do, you, do you have much experience uh, now testing and riding with the, with the vest? Yeah, Alpine Stars had one that we've been riding with for a couple of years now, um, okay. but no one wanted to wear it because it's heavy and it's hot. Mm-hmm. If you're not required to wear it, you're giving up something to the other competitors, and especially when the race is in South America. It was so hot that right. it was uh, you didn't want that. And in the dunes, and I don't know, just when it's heavy also, you just it's more physical. On a race for two weeks, you kind of are willing to go light and fast, right? You mm-hmm. want to do good. Where's she down? So, yeah. So uh, you brought up you brought up South America. So the the Saudi terrain versus South America is you know we we'd seen it when when the race moved to from Africa to South America. You know it, it got a lot more technical, a lot tighter, and you know um, I I really think you know we hadn't lost any any top level riders since the race was in Africa, and and now the race is back in in. Saudi Arabia, similar terrain, and and we're seeing higher speeds. Is are the speeds that much higher than than South America, or is it just you know the level the level of the race? Mm, I think it's a combination of everything, and the sports it's just risky, you know, and that's how it is. And South America was that desert was crazy, you know it it was uh, it was wild for sure, like massive dunes and all these things, but. Last year, the second week in Saudi, we were just going up and down sandy valleys. And you'd be in between dunes, but you're just wide open, wedged. And I don't know if it's because they didn't have time to uh, do a lot of reconnaissance or, or what, but there wasn't a, navi- a lot of navigation. And we were thinking beforehand that going to the empty quarter, it was going to be crazy navigation and a lot of big time swings um, because there'd be a lot of traces up and down the dunes, but this wasn't the case. The race was won in the first week, not the second week. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how they, they go through this section this year. We're basically going uh, reverse route and I hope they bring the speed somehow down in there. I don't know how they're going to do that. They have to change the road, book quite a bit to, to achieve this. Um, but, and I didn't really follow the race when it was in Africa. I didn't really, you know, I wasn't definitely wasn't into rally, so mm-hmm. I don't know how how it changed. I know, you know, the bikes have come down quite a bit in terms of size and speeds there, but yeah, the four fifties are going. That so was the fast now. first cut was to limit them all to four fifties. I think they said, "Listen, yeah. enough's enough. Everybody makes four fifties. We'll have more manufacturers participating. Also, side benefit, everybody will yeah. go slower. It's not as big as a bike chasing you down the dunes when you crash. It'll be yeah. quote unquote safer." Yeah, I think that was the intention yeah. back in 2011 when they when they brought it to 450 was yeah slowing the race down a little bit and also bringing in more manufacturers and it, it, you know it in the first couple of years it did slow the race down a little bit um, 
it now it's definitely brought in more manufacturers but now the 450s i think are faster than the than the, at least the single cylinder 690s were yeah um for sure guys overall speed they're much faster than it, they ever were on a twin but and the guys yeah. riding them are definitely going faster yeah i mean they've they figured out how to make those bikes handle like small bikes it seems and you know people like you andrew are making them look easy to ride yeah, they weren't yeah, hitting uh, well. Supercross whoops on 690 <laughs> rally bikes. That's for sure. No, they weren't. The difference is, is I can hit Supercross whoops on that on that bike, but I can't hit like I can't read the desert like you know off road guys. So it's like yeah. one thing to say I can hit whoops, all these things, but I don't have the skills that some of these other guys have. And this mm. is what I underestimated. And you know, off road in general, like you mentioned earlier, I rode work. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, this is going to be perfect. It's like motocross and a little bit of off-road. Yeah. And it was so silly because it was the same mentality that I had going into rally. Like, oh, I'll put in a few months of work. I know I can ride a motorcycle and I'll be fast and competitive. Yeah. And no matter what I do for off-road, all these guys are so good and so specialized yeah. that it just kills me because I feel like they don't get enough respect. So yeah. um, I think the sport has evolved but all the sports evolved you know it's just the nature of the beast so yeah i don't know it's, it's weird but i think the sport's changing in a sense and i i hope it's for the positive and saudi i was a little worried going there but for sure this is a, a good step also they uh they're stoked to have the race they have a great desert and you have a partner that wants motorsports and a, a great race and it gives us a place uh to showcase the race you know what rally is all about and mm-hmm. the riders it gives them the tools they need so i've been really stoked to have the opportunity to go there and last year i was kind of uncertain of that so mm-hmm. I, I hope that it continues to grow and i don't know how they change it to make it safer um by you know in a sense of more than what they've already done but it's just cool uh it's come this far i guess yeah so um you know you brought up south america again what uh I know, you know, the rally was so crazy in South America with the fans and, and people yeah. almost, almost to a fault sometimes where you, you ended mm-hmm. up with people on the track and, you know, people interfering with the race in some ways. How, how is Saudi? Is Saudi more um, remote? Is it more of a, a you know, desolate place? That, that's kind of what I'm picturing in my mind is that you're not going to see people for, you know, whole day or something yeah. but I, i'm curious to see your perspective from racing there you know how are the fans how is the how is the train and you know what what do we have to, to kind of look forward to yeah i think like south america what you said is kind of like that mexico mentality it's like baja like people are are wild crazy and full of passion and they're to support the race and you still feel that in saudi mm-hmm. but it's at just to start and finish and they're not they just sit there and observe and they're really respectful and i think this comes from their culture and um so this is way different the first time i went to to south america for like going into bolivia mm-hmm. it was crazy there's people you know 30 feet deep on either side of the road and yeah it was it was like sometimes you can't even ride because there's people just stopped in front of you there's so many people and this is something i never expected especially with rally you know yeah um yeah saudi is more remote and it's it's different um but it's great that you have a good desert and uh it's good for us too because it's more similar and and it's really professional where you know south america was more wild west this is like really high end and they care about motorsports you know it's more it makes it more of a a high level i guess you, you could say and 
me and Ricky always laugh because it's like car life. It's really professional and everything's perfect. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how Saudi is. It's not very motorcycle, like dirt bike style, you know. <laughs> it, it's uh, it's more car life and, and more high end, I guess. The dirt bikers are standing out like sword thumbs in the fancy yeah. car life yeah. world. Dirt bikers. Speaking of investment they're making, it's kind of a crazy logistics year. I know you're still trying to probably wrap your head around your flights to get there. And as we're speaking right now, it's two days before Christmas. Uh, wrap us through your travel in the next few days to get there and what you got to do when you get there before the race starts. Yeah. And there's uh, supposed to go through Istanbul and Turkey and land and quarantine for a couple of days, take another test. So I've taken a COVID test seven days before my flight, which I thought my original flight. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm actually taking another one this afternoon. It's supposed to be 48, 72 before your flight. But there's a new strain of COVID in Europe that uh, a lot of people were afraid of at first. And mm-hmm. uh, they canceled all flights going into Saudi. So now I'm flying to Paris and I'm popping on a charter flight that ASO, the promoter of the race, mm-hmm. put together for uh, a lot of the people. And so I'm super thankful because that. At one point, they were talking about canceling the race, it sounded like, because there was no flights and the logistics were crazy. So they put together um, a, a big package to get everyone there. And I know this can, couldn't have been cheap. Mm-hmm. And uh, But, yeah, I'm really thankful that they've invested this. And I know they've put a lot of time and money and effort into it. And it's cool to see it all go forward. When do you fly out? When do you fly out? I fly Christmas Day. Christmas afternoon? Yeah, like lunchtime. Like lunchtime. Same program, I think, Ricky was on. So you're going to wake up and have Christmas with the family and then make them take you to the airport and Santa's sleigh and drop you off. And so do you guys, once yeah. you once you arrive in, in Saudi, do you have to quarantine for, for a day or two or how does that work? And and then how is it going to work yeah. in the bivouac with, um, you know, different teams? I, I mean, I've heard some, some rumors that some mm-hmm. teams were going to keep all of their guys isolated and different things. Do you Have you heard anything on that front? Yeah, I think our team is the same. Uh, the boss of Yamaha told me that we're not supposed to leave and very frowned upon if we go associate with other people just because if you bring it back in, it's, that's a selfish thing to do to end somebody else's Dakar because you want to go say hi to somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is true. I think all the teams are probably going to have this mentality that you have to stay in your own bubble. Mm-hmm. And this is also what the promoters want. But when you land, you have to quarantine for 48 hours before you do your test. And, um, yeah, I think that's only natural. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm just thankful that Saudi's letting us come and they're opening their, their doors for us and uh, allowing us to race because they definitely don't have to. And I think it's a good opportunity for our sport to show, um, you know, our love and passion for, you know, I think it yeah. gives people hope in times like this. And yeah. It's really silly because it's just motorcycle racing, but I think it's cool to, to have something like this and kind of gives you something to look forward to. sounds like it might be a little bit lonely out there in the pits, but you do have a decent team with you, I yeah, guess. You know, it's interesting to me because I mean, just, uh, in my experience in the bivouac, it's, it's kind of, you, you know, you come in and then there's, there's the big, uh, food tent dining area and, and everybody kind of meets there and, and has dinner. So how is that going to work? Are they going to bring you food to your, to your truck or, you know, and you guys don't go and, and have dinner at the, at the tent or are they kind of cook for you? 
Andrew has to bring Andrew has to bring his own yeah. food. I'm definitely bringing a lot of food, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to work because. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I'm sure they have a plan how how it's in and out. Yeah, they have a, like a food runner. Life is yeah, the guy puts on a one of those those Tyvek suits and a and a mask, and, runs, and he runs out and gets everybody their sandwiches. And, and yeah, I mean, <laughs> you guys eat it eat it back at the truck. Oh man, yeah, it's crazy. You know, this is the least of my worries right now. I'm yep. just, yeah, I'm you guys are racing. We all get there and we're safe. And yeah, yep. I you're, think there's gonna be a lot of people that are stressed until they pass that first COVID test, and once you're in, I think as long as you stay clean, you're good. Nice, nice. Well, um, it's awesome to talk to you. Mr. Short, thank you so much for your time. Uh, Quinn, you got any other burning questions for him? Gosh, you know, it's uh, I'm super excited to to see this, and you know, I think uh, kind of kind of one of one of my things I was I was thinking about is you know the route it, it's running it's running counterclockwise this year, so it's running kind of the opposite direction of the, of the way it went last year. So you guys are are starting out into the more of the sandy stuff into the dunes. What what's your take on that? How do you think that's going to affect the the way the the race plays out. Oh, it's going to be the first week you got to stay in it. So you got to be ready to go from the gun and you got to minimize, you just got to stay, stay close. And I think it's going to be opposite, like you said, of last year. So the second week's full of all these canyons and um, that's where the navigation is going to come into play and less speed. So you just got to stay with the group and be on, on top of your game. So I think if you can have no issues the first week and get to rest day, and you're still in the hunt, you got to be really happy. Um, that's how I see that race unfolding. And um, I think the second week, too, is going to be a lot of fun from the spectator standpoint just because that's where all the cool terrain and images and stuff like that is going to come from. And, and also the race is going to split apart, and there's going to be a bunch of chaos um, in the second week. Uh, and it's going the weather is going to be crazy, too. It'll be a lot colder, and people are going to be you know, on the limit what they're thinking and mm -hmm. uh, they'll be tired. So I think this is where all the challenges are going to come from. And so we'll be, you know, that's, that's my thinking going into the race. And obviously it will change day by day and things happen. You have to adapt and, and shift your strategy. But uh, I think you got to be ready to go right from the prologue and, and get a good start position and just uh, try to stay at the front. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Best of luck doing that stay safe that first week get to that second week in striking position and try to make some moves that sounds like the best yeah approach. <laughs> easier said than done but yeah I'm it's sure easy for me to talk about it's easy for me to talk about this. over we here got this. this is what i think you should do andrew i think you should just be in like third place at rest day chilling go out blow everybody away on the day after rest day take the lead okay. don't look back i think i think it's all about okay. average average finish Oh, okay. Quinn's yeah, an average so, guy. Yeah, I'm an average guy. I geek out on the statistics, and you know, I, I I've looked at uh, past results, and and what I see is if you can if you can average fourth place for the entire rally, you're gonna, you're crush gonna win. It. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's, it's that simple. So Advice from average Quinn. Just an average guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you again for chatting with us. We hope we can connect with you. Um, during the race uh, via some calls after the uh, stages so we can get a little direct update from Andrew Short. Um, yeah, let me know. Every day, I hope we can call in or you can call us and we can just quickly record some chats. I know it's going to okay. be cool to give people some quick insight into the race this year. We're really committed here at Cycle News 
and Quinn and Jesse's podcast show to uh, expanding the reach of rally for the American audience and for the world. Honestly, I think I know it, it, like you said, the off-road guys, they don't get the respect, man. They just don't get it because it's, it's not on TV all the time. And what you guys are doing out there is amazing. Uh, mind blowing. It's the biggest scale of motorsports you can imagine. And I don't think a tiny, tiny one half of 1% of the American public even know it exists. So we're trying to change that with your help. Thank you very much for chatting with us today. We want to send you off with our rock theme in the background, nice and subtly. (laughs) (laughs) You're, uh, hey, you've always been a a great uh, person for the media when you were on Supercross racing motorcycles and motocross racing motorcycles. Now we're pumped to see you out there on those rally racing motorcycles. Uh, Andrew Short, Yamaha, Monster Energy Yamaha Factory Racing. Good luck. Crush it. Do some thumbs up and wheelies when the helicopter flies over you, please. please. All right, sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks. Later. Good luck. See you. Bye-bye. Thank you.